Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening and welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show. We are really excited this evening to have a return guest, one who was just one of our personal favorites, as well as many, many of our uh, listeners to the program. I am Diane Kennedy, one of the authors of Bright Not Broken and co-host along with Rebecca Banks. Um, who I'm not sure will be here this evening, but that's okay. We are going to go forward. We have got, um, as I mentioned, an incredible guest tonight. Her name is Jennifer Cook O'Toole. She is the um, author of Asper Kids, and we're going to talk about all of the wonderful things that are coming in just a second after I let you know that Mayor Johnson is our sponsor, and we are very excited to have them. With every child, there is a solution, and you can explore a variety of educational solutions at MayorJohnson.com. That's M-A-Y-E-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. Now, this evening, as I said, we are very excited to welcome back Jennifer Cook O'Toole. She is, I'll tell you a little bit about her, she's an award-winning author, an educator, an advocate, and the mother of three kids with Asperger's, as well as Asperger's herself. Jennifer's Asperger Kids LLC is a multimedia social education company that has formed the first-ever collaboration program between the Montessori and Autism Asperger communities. That is something that we're really excited to be covering tonight. And uh, it's been said, any parent who has ever wished their child could find their homework or organize their room, or calm themselves will benefit from her suggestions. She's, um, that was said by a top Montessori teacher and trainer. And with her third book, um, An Asperger Kid Home, where the stories of everyday superheroes begin, is due out this spring. She also has a new article in Autism Asperger Digest coming out this summer and has uh, been increasing her international recognition as what we refer to as an autism superstar. Jennifer has a lot to talk about. And this is a don't-miss episode for uh, those of us with 2E Asperger, um, Asperger Kids, parents and professionals alike. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. I'm not going to sit through the door after this interview. My head's going to be so swollen. That's my, my goodness. I'll take it because I'm going to just put you in my pocket. And that's my bad <laughs> Diane. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely. Because after all, you are, you know, one of the, one of the winners of the Asperger's Field of Awesomeness. 
So this That's is right. what really places to be. Well, thank you very much. I was I was thrilled to to give it to you because I'm kind of picky about that sort of thing. So um, oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, so it, thank it's you a very deep much. honor. And I did I did want to add before we start too, Jennifer. I want to make sure everyone knows that you were the winner in 2012 of the Temple Grandin Award. And through that, and through our mutual friendship, mm-hmm. um, after meeting her, it's really important that we mention that Temple absolutely loves Esper Kids. Your work, she's enthusiastically supported you, and we congratulate you on that because Temple's endorsement is certainly well-deserved. She knows what she's talking about. We love her, and we love you. Oh, thank you. She, you know, I mean, I guess it sounds sort of ridiculous for a little 10-year-old me to be like, yeah, Temple Grandin really is a cool chick, but she really is a cool chick. And, like, you know, and that right. sounds like such a, a you know, um, a disrespectful, and, and it's it's actually quite the opposite with which, with such personal affection as well. Um, you know, um, she has been... So loving, so so lovely, and and so surprising in the most human ways, which was the first time I met her. Because you don't think generally. I, I think I shared this with you. I know, I know that I did. That that you know, you just. I, I guess my impression was that I was not expecting Temple to be hmm, the kind of gal who might necessarily you know make a big deal about like wardrobe. And the, but right. the, you were sitting there talking, and she steps back and goes, "I have before we do anything else, I have to tell you how impressed I am with what you're wearing because you've shown me with your outfit that you would take this seriously and just went, you know, and really what it came oh, down to, it was just it was so adorable, you know. And she went off, but what she really was was getting at, which is something that I completely honor and and agree with entirely, is that um, you know. It is also about um, you. Know, she uses the word manners. Um, you know, nowadays we call it good social skills, or but really they're one and the same. Um, my second book, which was the uh, Asperger's Secret Book of Social Rules, you know, really that's what it comes down to. I've had a lot of neurotypical folks say, "Could you please just take the word Asperger's out and just put it out there in general?" Because it's really just about being respectful of other people and their opinions and their experience and their time. And that's what manners are, you know, and that's one of the topics that that she speaks about at length. Um, and there's a Steve Martin quote, um, because I actually happen to think in order to be really funny, you need to be really smart. And Steve Martin <laughs> is one of those people, you know, um, yeah. I, have a, I have a word, funny, smart, funny, and, and he is funny. Um, but one of his lines is, you know, be so good that they can't ignore you. And she talks very often about, you know, that she would go around and, and literally carry her portfolio so that it wasn't a matter of how she would perform in an interview, but her work would speak for itself. And, um, you, you know, and that that plus good manners really was what um, opened the, the original door plus, and she cites this with much affection, of course, is her, her teacher who really looked at what she was bringing to the table as opposed to what she wasn't. And, um, yeah, I mean, the most recent, it was it, 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 Autism Asperger Digest, um, they told me, because they had originally asked me to write an article for this, for the their um, publication in January, and the editor said, oh, I'm sorry, can we push you back and can we have you change the topic? 
and I thought, oh, you know, okay, sure, no problem. What, you know, uh, and she said, well, actually, because um, Temple's going to be putting an article, and she's actually um, going to mention some of your work, which is really, so I'm thinking, oh, isn't that lovely? You know, well, mm-hmm. I told Miss Editor Lady, who I really, who I, I genuinely like, I said, I'm going to come get you some one of these days now, because it was, the, the article was not, it, it, it was about um, Temple equating the strategies that, um, that I talk about in Ask for Kids with the uh, teacher who had changed her life. And I thought, well, now, if that's not just about the most wonderful compliments, the most wonderful, obviously, endorsement, but also in the very best way, um, the most, you know, the heaviest responsibility and most profound responsibility um, being offered and, and, you know, entrusted, um, I don't. I don't know really what is. Um, so I, I take that with with great humility. No, trust me. No false humility, because really this is still so dang amazing to me that you know a year ago I didn't have anything out in print yet, um, and that that here we are, and um, and I get to do what I get to do now for for a living, and um, you know, leaving the world a better place. That it doesn't it doesn't get better than that. So. Um, it's been a very, it's been a year of great and amazing blessings. Absolutely, and very well-deserved. I mean, you know, you are just a tireless advocate and so passionate about what you do. And, you know, being being an insider yourself as well as a parent and mm-hmm. uh, having the education background you have, I mean, you are the perfect person to be doing what you're doing. And speaking of which, we're really excited tonight, and I know that um, Marianne Russo, who runs the Coffee Clatch Network, was right. also excited about this program because she mentioned how um, she has a love for Montessori and she thinks what you're doing together with autism is wonderful. And oh. so um, before we get into that, we're before we get ahead of ourselves, if you can yes. just let us know, because I know there are some people, and you know myself included, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think I had visited a Montessori school at one point when my mm-hmm. uh, were younger, but if you'll just give us just a little bit of background about what Montessori is and how it's used, just kind of tell us about what that is. Sure, absolutely, and I and I you know I will be um, in layman's terms because that's what it's, it should be. Um, so Montessori is um, a method, but also really a philosophy um, of education that was created by um, a woman who was a pediatrician in um, early. 20th century Italy, and her name is Dr. Maria Montessori, and I always have to say that to me, you know, any anyone who uh, was a, a woman who was a pediatrician in Italy in the early 20th century, right there, you've got my, mm-hmm. you've got, some, you've got you know, some, some props to some respect going on there, but, but basically, um, what she did was she started off and um, began working with, to use the, the, the term of the time, um, the street urchins of, um, of of Rome, which essentially just means you know um, impoverished children uh, who basically were deemed uneducatable, and um, you know I I always say that I think. It's sort of like you say, Montessori is a, a bit like Asperger's or autism in that people sort of think they have an impression or a vision, but they're not really sure of the specifics. So what it all came down to was that she began her work not by um, 
interacting with the children, but by stepping back and observing the children. And because her background was medical, she, especially as a pediatrician, she was really interested in what she called the natural planes of development. So kind of like the natural cycles and tendencies that they went through, these sort of naturally occurring um, periods of particular sensitivity to the environment, to the materials, um, to the people and um, ways that things were presented to them, um, and how it seemed that on a semi-regular three-year um, cycle, there would be this new level to which they would um, they would move. And what she really saw was that, um, and what she believed, was that given the liberty to choose and act freely, that that children will act spontaneously for their own optimal development. Um, and, and, you know, putting that in the most basic words, that kids want to learn. They want to be happy. Mm-hmm. And that my, my, you know, my buzz line is always, if you're not having, if learning isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. And so, right. right, and that's sort of what she was saying, you know, that this doesn't have to be um, forced down someone's throat, and it shouldn't be, in fact. You know, as adults, really, let's face it, you know, Diane, if you suddenly had a passion for, um, you know, motor cars, and you just wanted to tell me all about them, and it was required that I learned about them, of course, I would do my very, very best to pay my utmost attention and try to get through every single minute of it and probably take notes and all that, but it wouldn't be anything that would naturally appeal to me. And what she felt was that by letting the child lead and um, kind of following the children through their natural cycles as they as they seek repetition, you know, we always like, you know, we say to our kids, you really want to watch that show again or you want to play that game again? Well, it's right. for a reason. Um, they're developing confidence and purpose and exploration and, you know, in um, a prepared environment, and that was her line, which basically is, uh, means uncluttered, unorganized, predictable. Uh, I'm sorry, organized and predictable, that you know, they're able to develop a better sense of um, concentration, um, of self and internally uh, driven motivation. Um, there's a, a just a more natural tendency towards growth and curiosity without um, pushing them in the ways that uh, traditional education seemed to do. Here's what it came down to for me, though, is that, you know, what, what she respected is what... Um, what made me always just a lover of of learning in general and that, you know, that everything that is right and natural about learning and wonder and curiosity and the peace that should be um, endemic to childhood is already inside the kids, all of them. You know, she took the children who were deemed the least, you know, educatable and suddenly you know, they were excelling beyond um, their their um, affluent peers. And why is it because they were doing anything, you know, um, grandiose? No, just the opposite. It was that they were getting the chance to follow their own um, interests, their own natural talents, certainly uh, being encouraged and exposed and given lessons in, certain, in a certain order that... Um, allow them to feel safe and invested um, to then be able to let their natural aptitudes sort of take them. 
and and most of all that every single moment of learning is based in sensorial work. And I don't just mean, although I do mean as well, I don't just mean, you know, our typical, um, you know, your smell and your scent, your, uh, you know, your, sorry, your smell and your sight and your, your hearing, all that. Yes, yes, I do. Um, but she also identified, um, she called it stereognostic sense. And basically that sort of like, muscle memory. It's the the developed ability to judge the size and the shape of something merely by touch. And then to be able to correlate tactile perceptions, you know, of dimension and size to basically create a conception in your mind's eye so that perhaps you've you've felt a cylinder or a cone or a prism and you are able to um you know you've you've seen it and then after after looking at it and, and tracing all the edges and the vertices and the faces then you then you might blindfold be blindfolded and and play a game where can you just by just feeling and observing just with your fingers can you identify that same object now it might not seem like much but that's how um our bodies and especially kids on the on the spectrum, then start to create um, a level of mental and sensorial organization. And when that's underdeveloped, because it doesn't seem like, who cares really if you can identify a sphere or a cube or whatever with a blindfold on, you know? But right. when, it's under de- when it's underdeveloped, that, that's what leaves spectrum kids feeling clumsy, feeling disoriented in their own space, feeling anxious. And so by enabling them to their very core, to, to the point where they're really, you know, through through osmosis, if you will, um, they're absorbing the reality and the patterns of the world, um, then there's less for others to have to explain and more for them simply to witness and be part of. Because the, the fact is that with so many, of our kids, so many of our kids dealing with sensory defensiveness or sensory-seeking behavior, well, the way we learn about the world in general at first, the way our brains develop as, you know, little little ones, um, is through um, sensory observation. That's that's our main method, our primal method of absorption. If you, if you knock into a block tower, it's going to fall over, right? But if right. you can't, if you're so put off by certain scents or certain sights or sounds or textures, um, if you can't you touch right, then how are you going to um, examine how to unclog a traffic jam in a funnel or um, watch gravity in action? Or um, Socrates had a line that that which is held in the hand is then held in the heart. And, and I think that it's also held in the head because, you know, as I've said before, in order for a theoretical physicist to wonder about the impact of gravity, um, you know, on time distortion or some sort of really erudite abstract concept, you have to start with the very basics, which is standing in the grass comfortably and looking up in the stars and, and seeing them with your own eyes. Absolutely. So, and, you know, I mean, no, as you were talking, I was thinking about actually, and I had this as my next question, but it's part of my statement for what you just said, and that is how it is even more of a natural fit for kids on the spectrum because and one thing I noticed in reading some of the materials and, and preparing for the interview and I was learning a lot myself was what a great thing it is, and you touched on this, as far as the sensory connection. You know, mm-hmm. 
there's been new research coming out, and hopefully even more will um, be firmer in connecting the sensory component to autism because it's always been um, mm-hmm. part of it. And, you know, I see that in as far as this method of learning, really, yeah. really going to that. Um, Absolutely. It, it's, it is the ground it to it. work. It is, yeah. it is literally the basis. I mean, you start with what's called um, practical life exercises. And, you know, I, being that my my youngest is my third, you know, when my first was three, I'm not sure I would have necessarily bought the idea that a child who could perhaps recite, you know, the periodic table really needed to learn the intricacies of how to use a little dustpan um, because I would not have understood that, um, that there is inherent dignity and pride besides bilateral coordination and targeting and process and all these things that also come along with, um, with the work that, that are developed um, through extremely real-world skills, you know. Um, so if you want a child to be able to um, move into more abstract ideas, social uh, social skills, academic skills, whatever the case may be, they need to first see and, and repeatedly see, experience and, re- and, and re-experience those notions in concrete, measurable, observable ways. You know, they need to see that um, if, for instance, like one of the one of the things I was doing with my daughter, we do a lot of um, sensory bins where I will fill up a tub with various, um, you know, various either dry or wet fillers, and and then um, have some kind of concept that's in the center. And to to all of that, and hers was we started off um, by taking. Um, eggs and putting them in, you know, we, I cracked it open and I let it run through our hands, which is icky, of course, and wet, <laughs> and, you know, and but right there, you know, and then gently can you peel off the, the shell without ripping this membrane, which, you know, she had never really paid attention to that membrane that's just inside, and we started talking about what the word permeable meant, and I had her two brothers hold a you know, hold a paper towel between them and then also hold a sheet of tinfoil and she poured water, you know, onto the paper towel and, of course, what did it do? It went through and then through the tinfoil. No, it just sat there. And we talked about how you had... No, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm thinking it's cascade learning. That's what you think, how it builds. Go ahead. That's No, no, yeah, because... Then what we did was we took the egg and I said, you know, if we put this egg in water, is the water going to go in through the shell? And they all said, no, you know. And um, she said, no, no, it's, it's, no, of course not. And I said, but how does the oxygen get in for the baby trick that's developing? And she said, well, the, the gas can get in. And I said, right, it's gas permeable, but not liquid permeable. And I said, but, you know, you saw that paper towel. It sure was liquid permeable, wasn't it? And she said, yeah, it sure was. Well, then what we did was we took those eggs and we put them in um, glasses full of vinegar. And, you know, instantly, first of all, there was a great talk that we could have about watching the actual chemical reactions as the, the acid and the vinegar started to break up the calcium carbonate in the, in the eggs, and you could see the carbon dioxide bubbles are escaping. <laughs> and in about, a, in about a week, what you have is you have the membrane, like the yolk folding around in that, in that membrane, which is, as we said, liquid permeable. And what we're going to do is we're going to put that in a... a 
a hypotonic solution, which is basically just water. Nature likes to, you know, balance things out. The water's going to go in. It's going to balloon up. And we're going to talk about how that's just like our minds and our ideas, that if we put ourselves in a situation where we're not being attacked but we're just looking to balance, what happens to our good ideas? They get even bigger, you know, and that our that our ideas can also be permeable and that that doesn't mean they're being hijacked or taken over by someone else. And so it's by using these really concrete, visual, seeable, touchable examples um, right. that that you can bring it to, you know, the most, the highest level or, you know, with them, um, we were doing an experiment today with little uh, paint chips um, from the store and I had put little bits of them onto um, paper clips and my son was, um, not paper clips, uh, clothespins, and my little guy um, was matching and, you know, checking out to make sure he had the right hue of purple to go with the right thing and then clipping it on. And is that some dexterity and coordination work? Of course it is. Is it color matching and visual discrimination? Of course it is. But it's also a really cool way to talk about how not everything is either black or white. It can also be somewhere in the middle. And that could be like feelings, too, and people, too, and ideas, too. And not everything is all or nothing, you know. Um, I, saw, we, I saw those today on your Facebook. You? And I was, it's fascinating because it's so it's multifaceted teaching too i mean it you're right one one thing and when you're it's creative but it's practical i mean you yeah. you know it's each step is just so direct and practical which is you know part of what and i i don't want to you know bemoan on this too long but you know because we all talk about it we've done episodes on it how our educational system you know, our traditional system of learning has just become so stagnated and so just robotic, if you will, that there's yes. nothing practical about it. And no, no. You're talking and, the opposite. And, yeah. Right, because in these classes, what we're you know what they're working on is, um, you know, that the, the six-year-olds are ironing clothes with real irons, and you know, is that because we necessarily expect them to become like dry cleaners? You know, no, right. it is not. It's, <laughs> but it is because there's you're learning the process of what do I need to what materials do I need to prepare beforehand. The, my my third book, the one that's coming out in April, is called um, So the Ask for Kids Launchpad, and it's home design that empowers everyday superheroes. And it's realizing that, for instance, in order to tell your, you know, my my two-year-old, we had it set up so that he could get his own um, pitcher of orange juice and get himself a glass out of the low place counter and not a plastic Ikea glass, but a glass glass to understand the concept of having to be careful with things and, you know, and to feel the weight of the, the pitcher as he poured. And it's 38 steps to pour yourself a glass of orange juice. You know, and I don't think adults think about that, about how intricate just the daily processes are. But when when suddenly it's that or teaching your child how to how to use a hanger or how to knit, um, you know, do they really need to knit? No, but you know what it does? It sure does develop an appreciation for craftsmanship, um, for all of the components of our society and all the contributions that are made by different people. And besides that, it also gives them a tangible product that's usable, that they can be proud of, that's also practiced the same skills involved in handwriting without writing the letter Y for 17 million pages, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, and, and so that's what this is about. It's, you know, 
saying, um, okay, you're sitting there while you're while you're eating your breakfast, and these kids need to have something else that's occupying them. Okay, here's three small baskets. In the first one, you've got several screws, and the second one, you've got several um, washers, and then the third one is empty. So by the time you're done, the first two will be empty and the third will be full. And that's how you're going to know when you're done. And you're going to pick it up with your left hand, your helper hand, and then you're going to twist and see when you can find the right washer. And then when you twist it all the way closed using that, those pincer fingers, you've got it all the way done. And again, it's coordination, it's finger strength, and it's fun, and it's practical, and they know how to use tools, you know. Um, so it's giving movable alphabets so that you've got a different way to express yourself and perhaps you can write and take notes when you can't. You know, my my, my six-year-old now, when he was five, wanted to take notes on a geology book, but in his handwriting he couldn't even draw a triangle. But I've got a picture on my website where he used movable letters to take the note that obsidian has a shiny surface. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so there's nothing you can't do if you set it up um, the right way, um, and 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 it really does begin in the home. Um, you had mentioned earlier one of the sort of um, one of the really the things that I'm proud of is uh, Montessori Services, which is a um, a company that is really um, one of the foremost in the nation for providing what they call again practical life, but also just really cool learning um, materials for home and for schools. Um, we have what is now called the Asper Kids Collection by Montessori Services. And what they allowed me to do was basically to pick out my favorite um, items that they sell. And that's everything from, you know, if your child wants to learn about um, animals, then guess what? You know, how about real animal x-rays? And my son would pull them up on the windows and think, you know, check this out and was it like his hand or was it not like his hand? Just wonder, or or the little picture that enables them to actually do it themselves. It's those things that make such a huge difference in the independence and, um, you know, sense of self-esteem that the kids um, can develop. So um, that has to be reached uh, a certain way in order for Asper Kids, uh, for them to know that that's coming through Asper Kids, which is just asperkids.com slash ms, or if you go in the uh, AK Shop button on the Asper Kids web sh- website. But that's really exciting because that's enabling people to bring the the ideas that they're going to see in Launchpad right into their home. And and even if their child isn't in a Montessori environment at, at school, there's no reason you can't be doing that at home. Right. And tell us now, and with these resources and these tools that you're creating, you mentioned that you know they'll be available for use at home, and mm-hmm. um, of course, homeschooling is you know the perfect place. But also, will they be adopted and used in programs that are utilizing Montessori? Will they be used in schools? They already are. Um, oh, they already wonderful. are. Yeah, yeah. They are. Um, they they are. So these are the ones that are the real the real things. You know. So. Um, there are academic materials. Um, you know, I always say that because I'm 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 strictly uh, bound to say so. That of course, you know, um, Missouri um, uh, Teachers Associations always ask that the learning materials be handled by someone who has learned the Montessori methods. And I understand that in an ideal situation, that's the case. But if that's not the case for what your pocketbook or life can afford, then I still think it's worth it personally. And that's just my opinion. Um, right. You know, but but even so, that being said, yeah, it's still the little um, hand brooms and the little you know push bro- push brooms and. Um, 
oh, gosh, you know, uh, food prep things that the kids can use and be safe, and they're real, and they're no, there's not anything um, pretend. There's something called a pin poke, which literally kind of sounds like it's like a pin with a handle, and it enables the kids to, if they can't cut things out, guess what? You can make entire maps by poking things open um, all <laughs> along the edges with a little tin, yeah, or, uh, which my, my, my son did, um, or you can make pollinators at, you know, at Christmas time. Um, there's sort of, it, it's limitless, and it's really exciting to see what's there, and I'm so proud that they were, um, that they were such advocates of what I was doing um, as to want to put that up, because what it really means is, um, a way to build the independent life skills and executive functioning skills that that our children who, while they may be absolute, as we know, little professors, you know, um, the concept of how do I fold my socks over. um, Well, absolutely. That was one of the questions, too, that I had was, I have a couple, actually. I thought of some new ones as you were speaking, but one of them was, yeah, our 2E kids, and those are the kids that you're right. I'd I'd rather talk about their symptoms than their diagnoses, but many of them diagnosed with ADHD, Asperger's, uh, different various labels sometimes, or even behavior labels. We, you know, those kids are the ones who have executive function issues or, you know, Mm -hmm. they get so hyper-focused. And, you know, a gifted child who is perfectionistic about everything they do, they tend to get stuck. And when these kids, you know, get stuck with with traditional learning, even though... um, in spite of, as we talk about in our work, in spite of having high IQs or being advanced in their development in some way, when they get stuck, it's downhill from there. So, um, you know, when you talked about how this can help those skills that tend to be, some of them, their weak areas, executive function. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, by mastering that, that allows um, just a better all-around whole child to focus on where their passions and you know the things that help them advance even quicker. That's and and that's exactly what it is. Um, it really is. You know, the, the one thing that I always tell the Montessorians with whom I'm speaking um, is that you have to. What they need to um, be aware of is that um, that our kids don't. I mentioned the phrase planes of development. You know, our kids don't go through those planes of development smoothly. They go in fits and starts. And they, you know, may have skills that are years above them in one area but below one another, and they may never quite equal out. Um, and that's got to be okay. And so, you know, what I'm what I'm doing now is, um, well, several things, but I've been advising families um, whose children are in Montessori programs um, and, and helping, you know, doing school observations and seeing what suggestions I might make because, it's difficult for teachers to know who are who are brought up in this um, extremely devoted, sensitive, protective culture that is the Montessori training to see what adaptations you can make without compromising the validity and genius of the of the system. And you know, I have to say, and I've said before. Um, I would think that if Dr. Montessori were alive today, that these are the kids she would most want to um, to bring in and to uh, develop um, and to show what it is exactly that they can do. Um, that that's important, you know, uh, and and to help 
the educators not be afraid of what those changes will mean. Um, it does not hamper in any way what they're what they're trying to do is it's a little bit different sometimes you know sometimes generally for instance the educators wait for a child to ask for a lesson in order to learn something new in order to move on in any one genre and the point of that being that you're waiting for the child to feel that they have absolutely mastered everything before they're ready to, to move on and are curious and maybe they're still feel, feeling satisfied where they are. Well, the fact is that our kids have a shorter um, patience with what they might consider TM. And so if they've done it once or twice, they feel like, oh, I already know how to do it. And they forget or don't really understand the value of the perseverance of, of sticking with um, something until you're not only capable of doing it, but you know, capable of doing it, but capable of doing it really, really well. And right. um, you know that that um, they may not want to try something new, quite frankly, because they're um, they've got that perfectionistic streak and they don't want to take the chance of messing it up. Um, right, and they, that's a right, you know, feature. You got it, and you know <laughs> we have, and that's what you know. I'll admit that's very freely. That's one of the things we're dealing with with one one of my kiddos right now. But there are ways around it, and that's what you know. My one of the things I, I find myself saying over and over in this genre and and everywhere else, you know, I just firmly believe that I don't think our kids do have multiple diagnoses. I think most of the time there's one overarching kind of umbrella diagnosis, and everything else kind of falls under under it a little bit. In the same way that if you had a cold, and you'd probably be coughing and sneezing, and you know, right? right so right. it all sort of plays a part. And and that's important. And that, responding to all that, isn't really that hard. It's not such a big deal. Um, I think that labels are so important because it does give us the, you know, um, okay, here's what we need to write a prescription for, if you will, right? But by the same mm-hmm. token, to not be daunted by it, you know, I'm, I'm always, literally a week does not go by where I don't have either a professional or a parent say to me, oh, that would really work for anybody, though, wouldn't it? And I was like, well, yeah, because we're not talking right. about children with three heads, you know? So, right, so yeah, right. yeah. It's um, a, what it is, it's the common features that yeah. our twice exceptional kids have that, you know, kids, whether they have a diagnosis or, I mean, you know, in the gifted world for a long time before the 2E idea oh, yeah. and concept really came together, they were considered quirky or... Yep. You know, we hear that word a lot, and I I think the best for way, our own good. I remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> and the best way to view our kids and ourselves, if we find ourselves in in that whole spectrum, is to see that yes, we have challenges, and sometimes I think the challenges feel like greater challenges because we recognize, you know, and our kids do too, what we're good at, and so we mm-hmm. don't understand if I can, how can I be so good at this and excel here, but I right. can't seem to get this which looks so simple and that right. and that's part of getting you know getting our kids to cope getting ourselves to cope with um mm-hmm. you know with just kind of uh, compensating for the challenges so that you can focus on the creativity and I did, absolutely and I and what I'm I'm learning a lot tonight about um the Montessori method and I've always been really intrigued and impressed with the the little bit I did know and I did see about it but um you know, I, I would say the biggest thing that jumps out at me is it's a creative alternative, which is exactly what, you know, some of the greats, Ken Robinson and other people, are screaming mm-hmm. about in our education system. But one of my questions is this. 
What mm-hmm. is there an age? And it sounds like the concepts can be adapted, but um, you know, how early can you start, and how long? Like, if somebody's homeschooling a middle schooler mm-hmm. or a high schooler, are there, mm-hmm. you know, age appropriate um, tools and things that can be used through those ages? Absolutely. So Montessori schools start at age three. Um, and we certainly started using um, some of the philosophies earlier than that. Um, I actually talk about how I stumbled into Montessori, really. Um, I'd always sort of, had, like you're mentioning, I'd always had a natural curiosity, and I wasn't really sure why. But when I was teaching my daughter how to do um, math when we were homeschooling, I remember vividly the day that I had to learn. I was supposed to learn back in the day we called it borrowing, right? And, uh, you know, it's a fraction, and I had to leave class for a music lesson or something, and I came back. And and I could my homework I couldn't figure out how I could subtract like you know nine from seventeen because I couldn't take nine away from seven and what am I doing and I, and I I had an absolute meltdown I remember it mm-hmm. now here's the thing I was an excellent student there's no, I should have if I understood the concept I should have been able to count starting at seventeen backwards. But all I did was I needed to know the trick so I would get it right. And that's what math became for me. Now, I got A's all through the end of, you know, high school in math, but it was because I learned the tricks to get the answers, not ever because I understood, the you know, the concepts. But the, the, the concrete materials that you use in Montessori and math, for instance, are so phenomenal that, you know, that I understand the Pythagorean theorem in in a way that I never thought that I could to the point where I just proved it with a piece of origami paper the other night because of the way I understood it now because of having taught my children. Um, so, so could, you know, so does it go, can it go to any level? Dang, skippy it can, you know, in the same <laughs> sense that, like I said, I'm here, you're talking about the hypertonic corn syrup versus the hypotonic water solution, you know, that's generally, you know, middle to high school level chemistry. Um, so there's no way, there's no end. Dr. Montessori passed away before she finished the the high school curriculum, it was written up through adolescence. Uh, that being said, NAMTA, which is the um, North American Montessori Teachers Association, um, is working to start establishing high schools. Um, and uh, they are they are doing one. My, um, my home kids' school um, here in North Carolina uh, will have a high school by the time my, my children are there. And what's really neat is the, you know, the middle school um, is uh, a land lab where they run a completely functional farm. And then they oh, have to wow. run the yeah, and then they have to run the business um, where they sell at farmers markets all the things that they produce, and then do science experiments based on the soil content and all the things. And then when you get to high school, it's an urban, so that you're then in the city and you're working with city planners and and you're actually looking at research. It's it's amazing. It's the real it's the real world, and it's not seeing some artificial separation between um, learning and academics and, you know, then what you do afterwards, that whole line of what am I ever going to use this? Well, here you go. How about right now? And, you know, and that that's the way um, the way it should be. Um, and, and I think with our kids in particular who really depend so much on concrete ways of thinking, you had mentioned there's an article um, that I've written for um, Autism Asperger's Digest that's going to be coming out this summer, and um, it's right. 
talking about, um, you know, it, it sounds odd, but I'm talking about nouns and concrete nouns and how that relates to problem solving. And you wouldn't think that it does, but my little guy, my middle guy, was having a complete meltdown over the fact that he couldn't get to, couldn't get his karate uniform on in the right order, and therefore the world was probably going to end. And you know, all things were, <laughs> you know, things were being hit and knocked over and everything. And and I sat down with um, a map. And we drew out multiple ways to get to come to you know to karate and and we joked you know and I jokingly said but what if there's a flood here ah and you know if there's a fire here ah what can we do he's you know mom would take the other road and I I said yeah I wonder if you could put your clothes on and do three different orders you know but by looking at a real map he could see that um, and that's what this is a method that bases everything that becomes abstract, that becomes humanitarian, that becomes creative and eventful is all derived from all the way back to that very beginning to the sensorial basis in concrete materials with learning to execute a process um, independently from beginning and planning the materials that you need to ending when you're putting everything away. Well, and something else that you said that makes absolute sense, and and actually your article being about when I first saw the title about nouns, and I thought, okay, maybe I need to read this because you know, and and I noticed another article you had where you talk about math and how you know we can make that more concrete. It's interesting mm-hmm. because math was an area. I mean, that was playtime to me. I loved it. I I made math concrete, and maybe that's why. But somehow, mm-hmm. and I am confessing this here on my broadcast, and it's, I'm usually okay when Becky's on here with me because mm-hmm. she, if everyone doesn't know, she is the writer. She was writing when she was nine years old. It's a gift mm-hmm. to her. She loves it. She has a master's to teach writing. She teaches the high school English. And mm-hmm. with me, I ran, I ran, I ran. And for, as far as far and as fast as I could because I can't I I could never see grammar. I can't I, I can't mm-hmm. see punctuation. I mean I can see it when I speak. I know what you mean. I couldn't see it on paper and I I'm beginning to wonder if there's some of the explanations for dyslexia may come into play there. But what makes sense oh, mm-hmm. with what yep. I read in your article and, and what I'm hearing you say is this is a way of making, you know, for kids that might share that same, you know, whatever reason, if it's a visual thing that you can't right. you can't see where the punctuation goes. So, you know, the question they're asking is, and, and I know getting back to the math, because my son was the opposite. I mean, my uh, son with the genius IQ but struggles with the, the social anxiety who I had mm-hmm. to homeschool, the mm-hmm. first thing I did was what came easy to me. I did math. Sure. I'm like, oh, we're sure. going to have a ball with algebra. And he right. just had a fit and was like, right. you know, Mom, if you want to know what I know about algebra, duct tape a blank piece of paper to my forehead. And he's quite oh. a comedian. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, but you're you're smart. You have to get it. Well, the, right. what I figured out was he couldn't see it. And he mm-hmm. his first comment was, which I get, um, laughter from all the teachers that we speak to, all the professionals. He said, "Okay, first I want to know." He loves the history of things. I want to know mm-hmm. who was the moron. He said, "Who came up with a system that involves letters and numbers?" I have autism. I don't like mixing my peas and carrots. I don't want to mix things. Why do we have the system? <laughs> you want to know something? That the way the way these kids learn to identify polygons when they are three and four 
is um, you are, well, first you're basing it on the sensorial and you're tracing these particular insects and all, but uh, which are like your metal uh, like cutouts and all. But eventually when you learn, for instance, okay, this is a rectangle. Do we know why? Because a Latin word is for, for right is rectus. And this has four angles, which are all rectuse angles, a rectangle, or that a trapezoid comes from trapeza, which is the which was the shape of a table in um in uh ancient Rome. And right. so there you get right, and so it's so suddenly oh well that makes sense, and you're working with these triangles that you know, uh, that you, they're called constructive triangles and that suddenly you're realizing, I never realized this, that every single um, shape could be made, you know, a, a, a polygon could be made out of triangles. And I couldn't stand geometry because I didn't, oh, me either. It, it didn't make sense to me, but this would have worked for me, you know, because I would have right. seen it already and I would have understood, right. oh, yeah, of course it does, you know, um, or that you're taking sticks and you're actually building triangles with them and are able to therefore determine for yourself, hey, did you know there's a specific kind of triangle that does not exist and it can't exist and here's why, um, you know, but yeah, when it comes to grammar, it's the same thing. You have certain, you know, all of the um, noun family, if you will, are represented by, by tri little pieces of um, wood that are in the shape of various colors and sizes of triangles. And so that means the articles and the adjectives and the nouns go together because they're all the nouns, you know, they're all the noun family. But then their exercises go along with that because you'll say, you know, could you get me the and you don't fill it in, or um, and they're like the what the what you know. And that's how you learn that noun comes from the word nomen, which means name as in nomenclature. And if I'm not giving you the name of something, you can't get it. And right. so right, you know, and then and, yeah, well, and, and it goes from yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Well, and absolutely, and that's what you know. And and I I okay. wish I would have been a little more schooled in Montessori when I had to homeschool. <laughs> Because um, I was faced with, okay, how do I relate this? Like, I know how right. I learn. And so what I did was, and it sounds like I probably was right along the same mm -hmm. uh, philosophy. I made it more, I, I made it where he would understand the why. I said to him, algebra is the CSI of math. I said, mm -hmm. it's an investigation, and we've got to find out what's missing. And mm -hmm. I said, and how do you find out what's missing? If you're trying to do a puzzle, well, you ha first you have to know what all the pieces are before you can put mm -hmm. that puzzle together. Well, and then it, it started to make sense. And then we did concrete things like when he struggled mm -hmm. with fractions and things. We, you know, That's I said, okay, exactly we're right. gonna. We're moving to the kitchen, and now we're going to bake. I mean, the measuring cups were my tools to teach fractions. And and to be mm -hmm. funny, he bought this shirt, and I think he still wears it today. That. It was a joke because he just loved the. It says five out of four people have a problem with fractions. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that before. Right, exactly. So, I mean, most he, people, you know, you might know what to do, but do you know why you do, you're doing what you're doing? Probably right. not. You know, that's right. And that to me, that doesn't, that doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I, you know, I think there are a lot more things that I might have been willing to try if I weren't in that way and uh, you know um so i, I think that's a, that that's really 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 important well you're you're so right and you know this has been a great talk about montessori because it i think it helps like you said in very direct terms you know 
people can be, as we talk about, afraid of labels. I know there are some people that think, oh, that is just for, you know, the kids who can conform, or I've I've heard those kind of comments. And Mm -hmm. nothing could be further from the truth. And I think this really puts the term and shows how adaptable this is to our Toys Exceptional kids, to our Asperger kids. I mean, it, it is a philosophy that, you know, as parents, we're teachers anyway, whether our kids are in formal school or we're homeschooling. That's we're right. always teaching them. You're and if, always teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, you know as well as I do, I had three kids myself, very colorful mm-hmm. spectrum children. Um, mm-hmm. They still are. And, you know, these kinds of ki- uh, kids, and Dr. Linda Silverman talks about this and Gifted, that they mm-hmm. tend to be the ones who have an endless curiosity of questions. That's right. That's right. And, That's right. And so, you know, arming ourselves with this kind of philosophy and helping us to, um, you know, to use this as a model for our kids, I think, can not only help them grow, but we can head off a lot of those meltdowns when they get frustrated and they don't want to try. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I think that's one of the questions I get the most often is, you know, how do you deal as far as discipline? And I always say you you don't have you don't run into the problem in the first place. You know, right. you role play, you practice, you script, and you prepare as much as you humanly possibly can. Um, and when you do that, and res- and then also respect what you're seeing generally as a response to anxiety, um, you don't have the same meltdowns. Some say they don't ever happen for you know for Pete's sake. Of course they do. Um, but but when you can make um, the world a little less chaotic and um, show respect for that and where it's coming from, um, you don't end up with quote-unquote behavior problems as as often anyway. Right, absolutely. You know, Jennifer, this has just been the best talk, and we I'm telling you I could just, I could ask you questions all night. And I know oh, we need to we need sweet. to wrap this up, but I, I, I want to ask you a couple more things here. I just want sure. you to touch on, because I think it's so important, and this program is international. We have a lot of listeners across the oceans, mm. and... Um, You've done some things over there. Are you are you taking the the Montessori program? Is it is it international? You know, I am talking about it all over the place. Yeah, we got. To, I was. Oh my goodness, I had the most wonderful October, which is I have was overseas for my birthday. It was great. We got to go um, all over England and very briefly to Ireland as well. Um, and um, it, it was just a fantastic experience. You know, right now working with Montessori Services, they're United they're United States based. Um, but and then also working with the North American Montessori Teachers Association for their Alliance for Global Change, that will eventually hopefully bring about just that global change. Um, but Wonderful. we're starting here, yeah. But I'm I'm sincerely hoping that it's something that will um, be eagerly picked up because I've been very fortunate to kind of start developing a fan base. Um, certainly in Europe, um, there was a there was a large article, a feature article in the Guardian newspaper, which re- led to a BBC World Service broadcast and all sorts of crazy things, and and also in Ireland, and and um, I think there's some talk of going down to Australia. Um, so that all that all coming down the pipe. Um, I, I'm hoping that these will all be things that, that we can, um, you know, kind of incorporate as we go. Um, and now I'm just trying to get them to color and send me pictures for the, <laughs> the color awesome project. So That is a great project. I saw that. And, you know, yeah. of course, being the autism superhero that we believe you are, well, takes 
takes a lot of time with everything and all the projects you have. And before we go, we've got to mention, you mentioned it briefly, that um, your book, tell us when it's coming out and and, um, where it will be available. The launch pad, right. So, yeah, so right right now um, the first two are already out, which is first one was um, Ask for Kids and Insider's Guide to Loving, Understanding, and Teaching Children with Asperger's Syndrome, and I always call that the shampoo. It's for the adults first to understand where the kids are coming from. And then the conditioner, which is the other side of the the coin, which is um, the Ask for Kids Secret Book of Social Rules, and it's a handbook for um, tweens and teens of not-so-obvious social rules, although I have to say very candidly that um, it has been used many times over already with some guided reading with six and seven-year-olds. There's nothing, quote-unquote, inappropriate in there at all. Um, It's just a matter of concentration level. And I have had uh, some rather prestigious, who will remain unnamed, um, ask the adults, tell me that they're reading it and are using the tips themselves. So I guess it's it's intergenerational. And then, which is great, because that started off as a notebook for myself. Um, and then the the third one is um, the one that will be out in April, and that is um, the Africans Launchpad Home Design that empowers everyday superheroes, and that's based on how to organize and set out your home. You know everything from teaching your breaking down simple processes like how to use a hanger, how to fold your socks, how to load the dishwasher properly. You know um, to um, so that that the kids are more self sufficient and and feel better about themselves, and also. You know, give mom and dad just a little bit of better time too, and uh, <laughs> and, right, and following right up on the heels of that will be the now tentatively named uh, Asper Kids or the Color Me Asper Kids Awesome, which is going to be a coloring and activity book that is geek chic fabulous. That we're going to have literally vinyl wall um, word searches of autism heroes that will be on the wall that go that come from designs in there and periodic table jewelry that go along with it. And oh wow! Just, oh yeah, there's um, a print that was done by. Um, I've got a whole um, you know, treasury of Etsy artists. Um, if you enter and ask for kids, it should come up of um, all these folks who are just doing these fabulous, you know, deep cheeks, funny, smart, fabulous, thing, wonderful things um, that uh, part of the proceeds go to the work that I get to do with the kids. And that's just wonderful. And um, then coming up after that will be the Ask for Kids playbook, which is um, it's the story of the egg and the vinegar and all that I was telling you in that. Um, it's how to make purposeful play out of ho-hum everyday objects. So um, it should be, you know, there's a lot coming. <laughs> and then, oh, and a, and a collaboration with Think Fun Toys, too, where they're going to have an Ask for Kids uh, collection. So I am so proud of that, too. Wow, wow. Well, we're going to have to just um, stay up with everything you're doing if we can keep up with you. I had written a note yeah. to you in our email about <sighs> when I, I was reading everything you're doing, and I feel like I'm I'm observing Jillian Michaels helping her biggest loser team run the Boston Marathon and train for the Olympics. And at the same time, I'm out of breath going, I couldn't do, I'm trying to do 10 minutes on an elliptical, and I'm watching you. I haven't done you're that, Jillian so there Michaels. you go. There's no- <laughs> It's all right, right, you know. Um, I think that this is, like I said, so much has happened, and um, and the opportunity is here and is here now. And I, I don't want to to lose that um, when when the fire is lit and so many people are writing that that so many um, powerful and important changes are happening in their lives. It feels not at all like a job, but very much more like a calling and a, an incredible blessing. 
Well, absolutely, and we love your energy and your dedication. Well, I mean, you are certainly helping. I mean, it's it's obvious by well, how how you know how many people comment and and are just coming on board. And uh, you know, Temple's just the beginning of of you know your endorsements. I know Leanne Holiday Wiley thinks the world of you, and we've always thought the world of her. So yeah. Um, how you know, we are contagious, you know? So That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we thank yeah. you for coming on the show again. Thank and, you. Um, we just want to give one more shout-out to Mayor Johnson, M-A-Y-E-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. That's our sponsor. With every child, there is a solution, as we have talked about tonight. And you can explore a variety of their educational solutions at their website. We thank them for sponsoring. And this month, um, you can save 20% using the promotion code SOLUTION20 at your checkout. So, uh, again, for the Bright Not Broken Radio Show, I'm Diane Kennedy. And uh, we want to thank Marion Russo at the Coffee Clatch. And thank you, our wonderful guest, Jennifer Cook O'Toole. We look forward to uh, meeting up with you and Asperger Kids again soon. Thank you. Oh, I sure hope so. You have a wonderful evening. You too. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Anne.